Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hewn. I reject the idea that financial freedom has to wait until retirement. When we slow down to reflect on our values and use money to intentionally support those values, we can move on from a job we hate, waste less money, build greater wealth, and reach financial freedom sooner. Thanks for slowing down with me today. Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast, everybody. My guest here today is Ken Gar. What's going on, Ken? Hey, Brian. How are you? Thanks for having me. Of course. Good to uh, see you again. It's been a while, as we were talking about before we hit the record button here. But Ken and I actually grew up in neighboring communities in, in South Suburban Chicago. And we've hung out a few times in the past, perhaps maybe even misbehaved together in the past. But <laughs> Uh, where, where we grew up and we were talking about this a little bit, Ken, before we, uh, we hit record, um, it's pretty common for people from, you know, the, the kind of, I would say like blue collar community where we grew up to play it safe, you know, to get a good job with good benefits, to have financial security. I know we both know plenty of people who are union workers or public employees, but one thing you'll find during this conversation is that this dude does not subscribe to the status quo. In fact, he left a high-paying career in finance that, from the outside looking in, might have looked like the ideal life. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he decided he wanted to pursue his dream of becoming a stand-up comedian. And to make matters even crazier, this is a, an industry where, if you look at the statistics, um, it's it's not exactly great. 99% of comedians, when I looked, um, tend to fail, and there's only 1% that can actually turn it into um, a career and tour regularly. So Ken has done that. He's uh, living in, out in Los Angeles, performing at um, you know places that most people have heard of, Laugh Factory and a few others, and traveling the world doing shows. So Ken, what do you think are some of the most the, the coolest gigs that you've had since you started doing this? Oh man, I've been I've been really lucky, especially since the pandemic ended. Um, you know, comedy has really kind of come back as people are looking to kind of make up for lost time. But, you know, I, I was the first comedian to perform, first American comedian to perform in Saudi Arabia in three years. And so I got to go to Riyadh and perform um, in Saudi Arabia. And it was just an amazing experience. The Saudi Arabians were so amazing. Uh, they were so ex- excited to spend time with an American. And and then um, I went over to Dubai for two weeks and did shows in Dubai for some expatriates and some Emirates. And it was just amazing. I mean, um, you know, and I just got back uh, two days ago from performing on a cruise that went up to Alaska and got to see some Northern Lights. And, you know, so really, I mean, every every gig that I have is is there's something cool about it. Right. So uh, whether it's the town I'm in or maybe a venue that I'm performing at that might be legendary. Um you know, it's just uh, I'm really grateful that I get to do what I want, you know, and, and pursue this dream. Certainly beats sitting in an office, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did that for a <laughs> long time. And yeah, it was it's it wasn't for me and, and it's for some people and that's OK. But, you know, for me, it was just like I like every day to be a little different. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it's like I, I perform in Arizona all the time. and I drive through these, you know, subdivisions that all the houses look the same. You know, and then you come to Los Angeles and every single house is different, you know, and so I'm just like, this is this is I like a little flavor in my life, you know? Yeah. And like you said, I mean, there's nothing wrong with with working a corporate job and and getting paid well and working until you're 60 and retiring. Like some people are going to be totally happy doing that. 
but it, this podcast, the Affordable Freedom Podcast, is geared towards those people who are, you know, just kind of fed up with the corporate rat race. Yeah. You know, and they they just want that financial freedom to live a more fulfilling life, which is something that obviously you can relate to. So, yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about what your career looked like before you made the leap to comedy? Sure. So I, I you know, um, I come from a family that has uh, they're all firefighters. So my my grandfather, my father, all my brothers, um, I went to exactly one fire with my dad and the smoke hit my eyes. And I was like, not for me. Um, he's like, he's like, what? What do you think? I go, I think I'm going to college. So went to college, studied finance at the University of Iowa, graduated, um, worked for a couple of startup companies. Um, that was kind of during the dot-com era when it first started in 1999 and 2000, um, survived Y2K. Um, and then I got a phone call one day from Dun & Bradstreet, a uh, 162-year-old company at the time, um, name brand, 80% market share. And I was one of 300 people to interview for 11 jobs, and I got it. And I was there for nine and a half years. I did everything from, um, I mean, it was, especially with sales, but I was a risk management specialist. I was an account manager. Um, you know, my area of expertise was uh, risk data um, and kind of pitching that. And, you know, if you, some people have heard of the DNB report, essentially it's a social security number that's for, for businesses. And so, you know, I spent nine and a half years doing that. The culture changed. I didn't like it. As I like to say, the jocks took over. And um, I left and went and worked for a company called Precision IR, which was a um, investment relations marketing firm. So I helped companies that were publicly traded promote their stock to institutional investors. And then I got a phone call from NASDAQ one day, and they were looking for managing directors out of their Chicago office to basically um, build relationships with companies that were listed on the NASDAQ and help them to utilize tools that would help them promote their stock to the institutional side. So... Uh, very much related to stock risk management. Um, by the time I left Dun & Bradstreet, I was making close to, uh, excuse me, by the time I left NASDAQ, I was making close to $200,000, $250,000 a year. I had the house, I had the wife, I had the Lexus, I had the, the pool, and I was uh, miserable. You know, I was just really unhappy. Um, you know, I had KPIs. I had a Monday morning meeting that I would have panic attacks Sunday night. Um, my boss and I hated each other. Um, and he would absolutely back that up. Uh, we just did not get along. Um, and here I am thinking I'm finally working like at the, I'm at the top, right? I'm working for NASDAQ, one of the most recognized brands in the world, one of the most prestigious financial institutions in the world. I mean, there's the NASDAQ and there's the New York Stock Exchange and that's it, right? And for me, it's like, if I'm, if I still have all of this money and I still, I'm working for this amazing brand and I'm still miserable, then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you know? And so I created a plan for myself. I had started doing stand-up in 2001 and it started off as a hobby. I was um, just doing open mics maybe once a week. Um, I was doing shows here and there. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, I started getting booked more and more often. I started writing more and more jokes. And then, um, you know, next thing I know, um, you know, I kind of came to this crossroads where, I'm making all this money. I have everything I've ever wanted material wise and I'm miserable. And all I want to do is go do stand up comedy. And I was, I actually remember the moment that I made the decision. I was in the, the conference room at Buffalo Wild Wings talking to their CFO and, you know, pitching some, you know, six figure deal or whatever. 
And all the I kept CEO, the CEO of Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was like, you know, when you work for NASDAQ, you can pick up the phone and you have immediate access to every C level, you know, because you're NASDAQ. So they're like, what's wrong with the stock? You know, because everything is tied into their bonuses and, and their shareholder and their, you know, that's their accountability. And so every time I pick up the phone, they're like, oh, NASDAQ's on the phone, like put them through immediately. And so if I, hmm. if I said, hey, I have to come out and talk to you, like, they cleared their calendar. I mean, it was amazing from a sales perspective. It was the, it was the greatest yeah. and the products were good and the brand was strong and, you know, but you know, for me, a culture is such an important thing for me. And so if the culture isn't right and, and, you know, essentially what it boiled down to was I wasn't just doing, I wasn't doing the right thing, which is that I wanted to do stand up comedy. So I'm in the meeting with this CEO of Buffalo Wild Wings and, I just remember looking out the window. It's February. It's in Minnesota. It's two degrees out. And all I kept thinking was, I just want to go do an open mic tonight. You know, it didn't matter what the weather was. It didn't matter that I was there, like, closing this big deal or trying to. Well, all that mattered was, like, I just wanted to go and see what their comedy scene was like. Like, if I could, if these jokes could could make these people laugh, you know, if there was universal, universality, that's a word, um, to my jokes. And, and that's all I care. And then, and then that moment, I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I'm supposed to be happy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've checked off yeah. all the boxes and I'm not happy and I don't want to be unhappy anymore. And so I made the plan to leave on July 31st. I got put on a performance review and they fired me the day before I was going to quit. And so it worked out. It worked out for everybody. Yeah. And, and what's, what's ironic about the whole thing is the last two months that I was at NASDAQ, I was probably the number one salesperson because what I was trying to do is close my pipeline so I could get a, a big bonus check to move out to Los Angeles with. So uh, you were, you were sandbagging. I was, you? yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's a longer story. I, I told the guy I was going to have to build up the pipeline, but you know, he got me out on a technicality, which was like, you know, you, you didn't say you didn't close this much. And it's like, well, I told you I was going to close half that because the, I, I'm new to the company, so I didn't have the pipeline yet. But it worked out. Trust me, we both moved on to greater lives. <laughs> there you go. So I want to go back to what you said um, earlier about when you were at Dun & Bradstreet and you said that um, you made a comment about the jocks took over. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious if you could go a little bit more into that because I get the sense that, and you, you've also said the culture is so important to you. Yeah. And I can relate to that. I felt like for many years in my career, I was like trying to fit in mm -hmm. to this status quo, you know, to be successful by society standards. And I just knew in my gut that I never really fit in. So did yeah. you deal with that as well? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's two parts, right? Number one, um, you know, I had great leadership at Dun Bradstreet, uh, phenomenal leadership. And then, you know, when the recession hit in 2006, 2007, um, everyone panicked. And so everyone got blamed. And so they cleared the galleys and they brought in, you know, basically these guys that, you know, it wasn't so much about the relationship anymore with your client as it was like number of sales calls, um, you know, banging the doors, you know, kicking the tires, whatever cliches you want to use getting out there you know what i mean and it was like everybody the whole country was suffering and so for me to like walk into a, a client and be like hey we want a six percent increase over last year they're like i just laid off three people you know what i mean and so for me it was like my best day in sales is when i 
pick up the phone and don't have to sell anything, right? So like, I'm just picking up the phone, I'm checking in, how are things? You know, my first call to clients was normally like, I'm, I don't I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say this. My first call when I got a new client was, what don't you like about my company? Was the very first question I asked. Because mm. for me, it was like, I knew exactly where I stood. Like, oh, we love Dun & Bradstreet. Or like, I'm only with you because I have no other choice. Right now, now I know where I stand and now I know how much I have to fix the relationship. And most of the feedback that I got in those situations was, you're the fourth sales rep I've had in three years, right? And so then I would mm. say, hey, here's my commitment to you. If they reassign you, I go, here's my cell phone number. You can call me whenever I've been with the company for nine years. I'll answer any question that you have. And like that, you know, gave credibility. But once the culture changed, for me, I had to deal with an environment that is like supportive and wants to build relationships and and isn't so much like, you know, get out there, get out there, get out there. I, I won um, the President's Award one year and I had uh, and that was in inside sales. I was just in phone sales at the time. And I had uh, my talk time on the phone was half what everybody else's was. And so like here I am in this review with my manager. He's like, why aren't you making uh, he goes, why aren't you on the phone as much as everyone else? You know, it's supposed to be two hours a day. I go, let me ask you two questions. Number one, when do I leave for Puerto Rico on my president's trip? <laughs> and number two, I go, look, I go, look at how many phone calls I'm making compared to everybody else. And sure enough, I was making 50 phone calls a day and everybody else was making 25 phone calls a day. The thing is, I don't waste people's time. You know what I'm saying? So like, I'm not going to call and be like, oh, like, like there were, there were guys that were purposely trying to stay on the phone so they could build their talk time. I don't think that's an efficient way to run your business. For me, it not was just all. like, hey, it's Ken, you know, your buddy here at Dun & Bradstreet. I got this thing. I think it's good for you. What do you think? Move on. You know what I mean? So to your point, it was just like, you know, I'm getting penalized now because I'm not on the phone as much. And meanwhile, you're sending me to Puerto Rico because I won the president's award. <laughs> yeah, gosh, that's so frustrating. And it brings back bad memories for me about how um, you have. And I don't think it's anything about any particular company. I think it's just corporate in general sure. is you have people above you that are trying to check boxes oh, you yeah. know, to let their superiors know that they're yep. doing what needs to be done. And so if you're not hitting your activity metrics, then they can't check that box for their superiors. Right. And it's like, who cares if we're being efficient and we're being productive right. and business is getting done? Why does it matter? Right. And for comedy, it's two things. Um, do I have dates on the calendar? Right. Meaning like, am I booking gigs and am I getting left? You know what I mean? So like the KPI was way easier for comedy. So yeah. it's like, you know what I mean? Like I, I opened my calendar. I don't even have it in front of me, but like when I open my calendar, it's like, you know, is it filled up and I'll, sh I'll show it to you. Right. So like, you know, this is, this is my calendar. Right. So like every day is, is, is filled with gigs. Right. So like, for me, it's like, that's the KPI that matters. You know, the KPI is like, you know, are people saying, hey, he's funny. We need to have him back here or we want to have him for our corporate gig or we want to have him for our retreat or whatever it's going to be or our next cruise. So, you know, it's 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 so much more cut and dry for me, you know, because, again, there was a disconnect between results and productivity. You know, I, I can't help it that I work smarter and not not harder. But again, if you looked at the thing that really mattered was how many phone calls was I making a day in that environment? I can't help it. I talk fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, we, we get stuck, I think, in the corporate world of thinking like money 
is the objective, like money is the goal, when really the goal should be creating value for people. And if you're yeah. creating value for people, then money will be the residual of that. Yeah. And so to your point in comedy, if you're creating value, if these people are enjoying their time that they spend with you, then the money's going to take care of itself. So yeah. um, how has that been been for you to be able to just enjoy the process a little bit more than worrying about outcomes? It's been, it, it, it's a relief, right? So for me, you know, I was kind of like, you know, the, the guy in my family that was like, oh, you're going to be successful. You're going to be the successful business person just because of the way my mind was. I was, I went through gifted schools and AP and all that. So like, I was kind of like, you know, given this like, you know, moniker of like, you're just going to be successful. That's it, you know. But, you know, once I got all of the money and had all of the things, and was still miserable, it became abundantly clear to me that it's like, I might as well go do the thing that I love doing because I'd rather be broke and happy than rich and sad, right? And so once I let go of that and and just focused on the process and the work and the things that I can control, my life got so much simpler. Now, it doesn't mean that I didn't struggle Right. I moved to Los Angeles with a considerable bankroll that only lasted me a couple of years. And then I became an Uber driver because it offered me the flexibility to work the hours that I wanted to work. And but, you know, there were times where I'm like, well, I got to go Uber for three hours because I have to pay this bill. Right. So, like, mm -hmm. I struggled. I went from, like, having all this money to, like, having no money whatsoever. I mean, going out. I remember going out and being like, well, I'm just going to have water because I can't afford a meal, you know, I mean, stuff like that where, I mean, but again, it reprogrammed my mind to really understand what the priorities were in my life, which is just like every single day I get to get up and go do the thing that I love. And it didn't yeah. matter how much money I had in the bank. It was, it was, am I happy? And do I love my life? And I do. And I answered that, that question that was yes. Now, Show business presents its own set of challenges, right? It, like you said, only 1% of us make it. And so that's, you know, I took everything that I learned in the corporate world and then I've applied it into show business and you have to. And I'm really grateful that I had that skill set and that experience that says, okay, how do you handle the business side of show business? Because at the end of the day, it is a business, right? So, um, you know, it's not just about writing down jokes and, and being funny. It's It's like... I, I joked that when I got out of sales, I was so happy that I didn't have a quota for the first time in my life in 14 years. I didn't have a quota anymore. I felt so free. And then the next day I was just like, oh, I need to start cold calling comedy clubs. And I need to start sending out my video and my portfolio to bookers. And I need to start, uh, you know what I mean? So like, yeah, it, you never get away from it because my quota at the end of the day was how much my bills were. Right. So if I've got $3,000 in bills a month that I have to cover, like, that's my quota for the month. I need X amount of gigs at X amount of dollars per gig to cover this this thing. And then and then somehow try to plan for retirement as well. But I don't think I'll ever retire, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, hey, when you're doing work that you love and you've got some income coming in, yeah. I mean, why retire? Yeah, man. I, absolutely. So do you are you still handling the business side of things or are you just working on the the material um, oh i'm very yeah i've never had a manager or an agent i have okay. an agent that books me for my cruises that i do so i do about one cruise per month and then um everything else though i have been able to do on my own so i have 
Um, I have no management or, 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 or agent. So I still, I am responsible for booking my own gigs. And again, it's all sales for me. So it's, it's cold calling, it's referrals, it's, it's pounding on the door. It's, you know, I, I, but you know, and, and I, and I, I try to um, mentor a lot of young comedians and it's this idea, like I'll drive to Sacramento, which is like five and a half hours away just to do a guest spot, which is typically five to 10 minutes on a stage, just so the booker will watch me. You know what I'm saying? And I'll pay, mm. I'll pay up for all the gas. I've got nowhere to stay. Like, and for me, like that's worth the investment because I might book that club twice a year. You know what I'm saying? And now I'm, you mm-hmm. know, now I'm, I'm, I'm getting, you know, that's two weeks off of the 52 that I'm trying to book. So for me, it's like, you know, I have to invest in myself and, and it's really just kind of running your own business. So yeah, I'm very much still, um, you know, I, I try to split my day up between writing and doing social media, which is a huge presence now. And then also, you know, opening up that calendar and 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 doing a lot of outreach and um, promotion to um, get new gigs. So it's you're constantly working that angle. So you were even before you left your corporate job, you were doing shows, right? Mm-hmm. Just yeah, periodically. So you were kind of familiar with the business a little bit and how it worked. Um, but for somebody who who maybe like has an idea of something that they would like to do, yeah, other than the job that they're doing right now. Um, what advice would you have to, to kind of learn the business? Cause I'm sure that it was still a learning process, even though yeah. you were familiar with it when you're diving in full time, like that's a learning curve, right? Yeah. So what advice would you have for somebody that's making that transition and wants to kind of accelerate the learning curve a little bit? Yeah. So for me, it's, it's, it is, um, I, I, I the best way I can describe it was all of the PTO that I used at my corporate job was used for standup, right? And so for me, it was like almost having a second job. So I would take a lot of times I would take Fridays off because I had to travel to like Wisconsin. And a lot of times we had Thursday shows. So I'd like leave work early Thursday. I was off Friday. And then, you know, you're doing shows and then you come back Sunday and then you start Monday. So my advice to people is like, just start doing the thing that you want to do. It doesn't mean that you have to quit your day job today. I I put together a plan, you know, that said I want to have X amount of dollars. I'm going to I'm going to watch every single penny. You know, um, I'm you know, I made a lot of sacrifices and, I, you know, essentially I started my own business, which is the Ken Gar business. Um, but I, 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 you know, it wasn't like that day at, at Buffalo Wild Wings. I left there and quit my job and said, Forget it. I'm, you know what I mean? Like for me, yeah. I'm meticulous in my planning. And so for me, you know, if you have a dream or you have this thing that you definitely want to do, start doing it right in your in, in when you get home from work. I know you're tired. I know you just want to watch some television. But guess what? Get to work. You know what I mean? And when excuse me, yeah. and when you do that, like the 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 scale will ultimately shift. So for me, it was just like I'm making all this money, but I'm making just enough money doing stand-up to like pay my bills. Right. And so for me, it was just like, you know, some people dive right in and I, I, I love that, but like, you know, there doesn't have to be a major decision today. It's, it's like I said in a post recently, like you want to, you always wanted to be in a band. Like, we'll just start playing the guitar, man. You know, like just start, yeah. you know, like start there, you know, get, you know, be, be the best, you know, I wanted to be as good as I possibly could be 
before I moved to Los Angeles. You know, my my first gig in Los Angeles, I had to follow Damon Wayans, right? <laughs> like that was my first show. And then the 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 MC, right, who gets no respect, he had been on the Tonight Show twice. And I'm thinking, like, what did I do? Like what like what, what if what have I done? You know, like I've made a horrible mistake. I feel like plankton in the ocean. I'm not, not just like a fish in a pond. Like I, this is like, you know, but you know, and nobody knew me in Los Angeles. I had no friends. I had one, one friend and who he was like newly married and had a kid. So he wasn't, you know, we weren't hanging out a bunch, but like, you know, I just sat there and I went to like where I knew I needed to be, which was the comedy clubs. And I just started hanging out. And eventually, you know, I, I, you know, at one point I was, you know, running the one of the biggest open mics in the country at the Hollywood Improv, which I started. You know what I mean? So, like, again, it was about networking. It was about like, you know, I, I tell people this all the time, like, well, how, how did you get where you got? I'm like, because I tipped the bartender, like the bartender at a comedy club is the guy or the girl like they you don't understand how much power they have. Because they go to the booker, oh, you should keep an eye on this guy. He's really funny, right? And so hmm. I always tip that. Even if I didn't have any money, I tip the bartender because it was just like, you know, I wanted to make sure that, you know, no, because every other comedian out there was just ordering water and not tipping them. I'm like, no, I want to stand <laughs> out, you know? Yeah. So uh, overall, my advice is like, just start doing the thing you want to do, um, whatever that thing is, but just understand that you can build a plan toward success in that other thing. And you don't necessarily have to take this big giant leap. Eventually you will, but you know, you can do so in such a way that you're comfortable with, you know, um, doing so. Yeah. I remember hearing uh, Seth Godin one time talk about like, if you want to be a writer, start writing. (laughs) If you want to be a runner, don't read runners magazines, get yourself some running shoes and go start running. Yeah. So to, to your point, I mean, it's something you can start today i saw a friend do an open mic at a comedy club and i thought i can do that you know what i mean and then i took classes Mm -hmm. at second city because i wanted to be good at improvising you know and now a lot of my shows are just fully improvised you know what i mean and and i trained there and i got into the conservatory but but the whole time i was working my day job you know what i mean and i was saving money and i was putting money aside and and you know so for me you know again especially coming from that blue collar background you know, my, my parents didn't really understand this. You know, they, you know, it wasn't until I performed in Las Vegas that my mom c- kept calling it a hobby. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, he's just, he does it for fun. It's a hobby. And then all of a sudden they saw my picture and lights at the Tropicana in Las Vegas. They're like, oh, this is a real thing. You know, like, wait a minute. Wasn't Frank Sinatra there once? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm playing the room that Rodney Dangerfield used to own, you know? So you know, for me, it was just like, I respect those people that take those leaps. Absolutely. But for me, having the peace of mind of knowing I've got like six months in the bank or I've got a year in the bank or, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And then again, I, I did Uber. I, I I was just like, this thing pays, you know, a, a decent amount. I can make my own hours. I can, I have the flexibility to do whatever I want. And, you know, and then it was kind of funny because I would, every once in a while I'd run into like a financial advisor like yourself. You know, and I say, oh, how are the markets, you know? And then he goes, oh, they're pretty good. I was like, well, I go, I go, keep an eye on concrete in China. And he'd be like, what? You, what? I go, well, I go, the U.S. always has a recession. I go, when prices drop in, in concrete in China. And he's like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I was 
like i'm your secret uber guy you know <laughs> i'm your uber financial guru you know switch uh, to t-bills you know <laughs> so you have the um the entrepreneur mindset you know that's that's one thing as i specialize in helping people from a financial standpoint to mm -hmm. make the leap from corporate to entrepreneurship like you, you've just got that mindset ingrained where you talk about just being able to to pay your bills and like when when you make that shift of valuing your time and, yeah. and what you're how you're spending your time more than you value the money, um, it becomes a lot easier to have enough, and then it becomes easier to increase your value on what yeah. you're doing to allow more financial opportunities to come to you and yeah and then ultimately you're you're building more wealth before you know it so I think you you've got that mindset that that is so important in entrepreneurship and then. The other thing that you mentioned was, uh, you know, just doing something in your spare time. Because mm -hmm. I, I hear it from people all the time, like, well, I have kids, I've got responsibilities, I don't have time outside of work. It's like, well, are you watching Netflix for an hour or two at night before you go to bed? Yeah. Because if it's something that's genuinely an obsession, like for you, comedy was an obsession. To me, like my business that I'm starting is an obsession. So right. it actually becomes like a form of entertainment. I could oh, sit yeah. there and spend two hours strategizing about my business, and it's more entertaining to me than sitting and watching a great movie on Netflix. Yeah. Would you say you feel the same way? A hundred percent. I mean, you know, look, like, I'm in charge of how much money I make every year. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I, I don't have a salary. I, I, I'm, I'm fully in charge of the amount of money that I make, and I'm limited to 24 hours a day. Somebody once said to me, like, Bill Gates can't buy a 25th hour. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so for me, it's like, look, you know, and, and sure, I, I again, I think work life balance is just as important as corporate culture, you know, and I'm I'm in a position now where like I, I'm able to relax a little bit. But for me, it was simple because it was just like sales. The more phone calls I make, the more money I'm going to make. And the same thing applied to show business, which was like the more open mics I get to, the more jokes I write, the more, you know, for me, it was just like the harder that I work at this, the more I'm going to make because I'm in charge ultimately of how much money I make per year. No one is, no one is, nobody is limiting my income other than, than me not picking up the phone and calling that next comedy club or cruise line or corporate gig or whatever. You know, if I sit around today and, and play video games, which I sat and played video games for like an hour today, just because I've been on the road for a long time. And I just wanted to, I, it's a way for me to connect to my brothers. They log in and we, we have a nice little fun chat, but you know, that's an hour that I that I didn't spend uh, growing my business. And that's OK. But for me, it's like, hey, I'm in charge of, of how much money I make and how much I um, I work. And I just I happen to love the job that I have. So every booking that I get means that I get to entertain two or three or four hundred people. And how fun is that? Totally, man. So let's go back to uh, it when you were talking to the Buffalo Wild Wings CEO and that was like your moment that you knew you yeah. had to, you had to make the leap. I would imagine like through the years you had this feeling come up quite a bit and you suppressed it. What, it, what do you think contributed to finally getting to that breaking point? Like what did that, I, I guess, what did it look like as things were bubbling up over time? Sure. So I remember, I remember one weekend in particular, I was working with Charlie Murphy and it's Eddie Murphy's brother. And he was on the Chappelle show. All the yeah. shows were sold out. 
and and I'm just like hanging out with him and and Eddie's calling him on the phone. Eddie Murphy's like my hero. And, you know, and he's at the Roy Jones Jr. fight. And, you know, we're we're hanging. We're talking about comedy. We're doing this. And then on Monday, I just took the train into work. And I was just like and the and the comparison that I make was I bet Superman hated his day job. (laughs) Right. Like, imagine you can fly. You know, yeah. and you're the strongest person in the world and you could do all this amazing stuff. But like you've got a really bad newspaper job. <laughs> like, <laughs> like and that's kind of how I felt. I felt like Superman. Like I'm I'm like I'm hanging out with these huge people that are on television and like and I, and they're telling me I'm funny and like all these great things are happening. And then and then Monday, the reality check hit and I'm sitting there going like, well, you know, like I said, I, I used to moo coming off the train because I just felt like <laughs> it was a cattle, you know, and I was just like moo, you know, and I hated every I hated it because I, I again, I'm not doing the thing that I want to do. And everyone keeps talking about and using that word leap. And I get it. But it, for me, it wasn't a leap. For me, it was just the next choice that I had to make in my life to be happy. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, if you're thinking about making that leap, don't look at it as so much as a leap as it is. a It's a course correction. So for me, I'm mm. correcting my course. I'm like, look, I was going this way and I want to go this way and I'm just going to correct my course. Now, you are going to fly in the face of what your parents think and your siblings think and your girlfriend or boyfriend thinks or all, all these things. But like, they're not the one that's taking the chance. I am. You know, Mm -hmm. and so for me, it's like, like I'm taking all the risk here, not you. And I'm willing to take that risk because I don't want to wake up one day after working a weekend with Eddie Murphy's brother going like, well, I got to make the 715 or I'm going to be late. Like that just wasn't for me. Yeah, I like how you position that course correction, you know, and and sometimes I think about it as like climbing a mountain. And uh, I think this happens to so many people. It certainly happened to me where. When I was, you know, however old I was when I graduated college, what, 22 years old or something like that, I kind of like thought I knew what I wanted to do mm-hmm. for my career, but I never took the time to actually sit and think about what was the best thing for me Oh yeah, and, and really even like think about who am I and what are my values? You know, that like self-discovery process for me, I feel like didn't happen in college, which is when it's supposed to happen, right? Because it was kind of like this transactional process. Like my parents told me, go to college so you can get a good job. So it was right. almost like I needed to get this ticket to get a good job. Um, so sometimes we get to a point in our career where we're like, geez, I've been climbing this mountain for a long time. And I'm looking around and all these people who have made it to the summit look pretty miserable. And I don't want to be like these people yeah. anymore. And so, yeah, you just got to course correct. You got to start scaling back down and figuring out which which mountain you want to climb. Um, but that's a, like a hard thing to do when you've put a lot of um, a lot of effort and time into building the career and you had a successful career. Yeah. So did you ever feel like, um, you know, maybe I wasted all these years of my life? And I know that's probably not the case because you said a lot of it translated over to building your comedy business. But yeah. There's always that sense that you've you've wasted time now that you're that you're correcting course. I don't live in the past like that. I, I would say vehemently that I, I disagree with with this idea of having wasted time. I did the things that I did when I was ready to do them. You know what I'm saying? 
Now, what I would tell people is be aware of the influences in your life. My parents, you know, my dad was an immigrant. My mom's father lost her job and couldn't get another job and they suffered. And so like they influenced me to similar to your parents to like go to college, get a job. You know, I was pre-law my first semester and I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer. You know, and then I switched to finance. Well, I took one theater class in, in college and I was like, this is the most fun I ever had. And, and when I look back, I wish I had just studied theater. I wish I had gotten started sooner. But I believe that as cliche as it is that like everything happens for a reason. And I don't think I'd be where I'm at right now had I not gone through those other experiences. And again, it's really taught me a skill set of like, how do I manage my money and, and how do I budget and how do I market myself? And so I'm using all of the, these things, you know, but when I when I graduated high school, you know, there's this thing called Second City and I wanted to do that. And when I look back at it at that time, uh, Tina Fey, Steve Carell, um, Steve Colbert, they were all at Second City at the time. And I kind of always wonder, like, hey, if I can get that time machine and go back and, and do Second City instead of going to college, I wonder where my life might be. But at the same time, I ultimately ended up where I needed to be. And I'm and I live a amazing, blessed life. I don't I don't live in the past and I don't regret any of the decisions that I made other than I'm just grateful for where I'm at in the present. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I think it's easier said than done sometimes. But um, yeah, I think if you look at the past in the correct way, it can actually help you live a better future and, and yeah. just live in the present. I, yeah, for many years, I, I thought that I needed to continue on with my career, you know, because I'd put in the work and I wanted to be successful. But sometimes you just you have to take a step back, you know, in order to take two steps forward, I guess. Isn't that the old saying that people yeah. like to use? My, I remember a comedian saying to me, what, we were up in Wisconsin, and I, I remember he was trying to encourage me to go full time. And I was like, oh, I, I, I don't think I, you know, I don't, I, for years, I just didn't want to struggle. You know what I mean? I wanted to like just have that comfort and know that my bills were paid and I had a, a roof over my head and all these things. And he looked at me and he goes, it's just stuff. And I go, what? He's like, yeah. it's just stuff. He's like, you'll go get more stuff. And I remember right before I left for Los Angeles, I had dinner at this really expensive restaurant, RPM Italian in Chicago. And, and I had the money, you know, and to, to pay it because I still had my job. But I remember telling the person I was out to dinner with, I'm like, one day I want to just come back here and have a meal with comedy money. You know what I mean? <laughs> because now everything that I eat, everything that I own has been paid for with me telling a joke. And that's like, awesome. that's the coolest thing in the world to me. Yeah. My message to your entrepreneurs out there, like whatever it is that's your thing, like imagine paying for everything in your life with the money that you get from the thing that you're passionate about. And and it's like it's the coolest thing in the world. All right. Well, Ken, listen, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you coming on here today. Um, I love learning more about your story and the success that you're having right now. And I, I think the listeners will as well. So um, if people want to find out more on you and, and maybe look up some of your content, which you should, you should go to YouTube and see some of your uh, Ken's clips he's because he's a pretty funny guy. But uh, where, where can, where's the best place for people to find information about you? Yeah. So my website is KenGar.com, K-E-N-G-A-R-R.com. Um, so my tour is always there. My tour dates uh, are there. Um, and then also um, 
if you want to follow me on social media, it's uh, Ken Gar was taken. So K-E-N-G-A-R-R was taken. Um, and that's my social media. And then also, I, I just a quick plug, I have a new special that's available on Amazon Prime called American Hero. It's all about my time going to entertain our troops in Iraq and Kuwait and Africa. And then, you know, a lot of the COVID stuff that we, we experienced as well. So check that out on Amazon Prime called American Hero by Ken Gar. I love that, man. Well, listen, it was good catching up with you here today. And uh, who knows? Maybe I'll have you back in the future if you're up for it. Oh, anytime, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening today. And if you have a moment, check out my website at reflectivewealth.com. Everything you need to know about my business is there. Because if there's one thing I've learned in my career, transparency and accountability are critical to a healthy financial services industry. Thanks and see you next time.